Well, we like being trade waiters too. All yeah. right. Well, at least like... I do. <laughs> yeah. It was like deathly Long. silence. <laughs> no, no, no. I like I like being a trade. I don't. Sorry, I was being distracted. I, I just don't like uh, getting monthly issues. That's what I don't like. Oh yeah. Got to wait for those trades. <laughs> Patience is a virtue. That's right. <laughs> makes it uh, makes it a better experience if you've waited a year for the graphic novel to come out. Yeah. Well, see, I just is... it's like we need that Drake meme of like monthly issues, no. <laughs> trade. Yeah, this is. I mean, honestly, I struggle with the like shout outs sometimes because I'm just like I don't know. I just like I read all these trade waiters books and now I like I haven't read anything else because there's no time to read anything else now. <laughs> yeah, I did pretty. I took, took a big dent in my. Uh, uh, Van Calf T Calf stash though, and I'm hoping to have some insights for the next episode. Okay, mm, I haven't uh, started my pile yet because I've been waiting to like go through it all at once so I can pick books for that episode. Yeah, mm. when are they going to make these zines into trades? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man, the I have like a tragic story though, no. which is like I had a big pile of all my T Calf books like on my kitchen table, and I was like, I'll leave these here until I finish reading them so I'll just have them there as a reminder to read them but it's my kitchen table and like I was hanging out with Jen and I had a glass of wine and I totally spilled wine on oh. my like mini comics <laughs> from like Winnipeg and uh, TCAF you never most of them survived but there was there was some sad sad zines that got soaked in red wine you're never going to be able to seal them in a plastic container and get them certified now. I know. They're not going to be... That's why not... you seal them in mylar before putting right. them on your kitchen. I know. <laughs> Seriously. Or not do that at all. We just started an episode. I think we did. What uh, what book are we doing today? Laid Waste by Julia Frorer. And I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing her name wrong. I'm going to go with Frorer. Well, none of us know better than you. So, Julie, Julia, we're if we're you. mispronouncing your name, send Jess a strongly worded email. A polite but strongly worded email. <laughs> no, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be polite. You can read me out. Um, I actually have some information about her if we want to talk about the author first. Sure. Yeah. This is paraphrased from the Fantagraphics website, and it gave me a clue as to how to pronounce her last name. It says, Julia Freuer is an American cartoonist known for her bleak stories and lush pen and ink renderings. Her work has appeared in Best American Comics, and her last name rhymes with despair. So I don't know if that made me more or less confused. But, um, yeah, I thought one thing I thought was interesting is that she has a BFA in printmaking, Ooh. which ties into, I think, the Middle Ages and the look of this book because woodblock printing, you kind of get that black and white medieval style that's with those line renderings. And I feel like her style, it's not exactly like that. It's very unique. It's its own thing, but it kind of evokes that feeling. Um, so this is a cool example where I think the art style is in harmony with the time period and the sort of the message and the themes in the book. So I can do a quick summary of the book as well. Um, do we have or a... we can do a character-revealing character. yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
you have to you have to pick an apocalypse. You want to <laughs> you're going to end humanity. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a poem to go with this, but I I don't have to read a poem. Can you um can you add like sound effects like a church bell and like spooky music? I will try my best. Okay. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction ice is also great and would suffice. <laughs> By Robert Frost. Ew. <laughs> uh, I just want to throw in here that my personal headcanon is that um, George R. R. Martin has written Game of Thrones as a fanfic of that poem. Oh. I cannot prove mm. that, but that's I my theory. I just saw on a informational video by, I think, Extra Credits Literature uh, that Dune started as a haiku. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. so that's our poetry tie-in. <laughs> right on. Thanks for coming to the Tram waiters. waiters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> okay, so we have to pick an apocalypse. Uh, and now is the idea here to pick one that is uh, dramatic to see from a distance or one that is uh, the, as least awful as possible? Well, it's up to you. You're playing God here. <laughs> oh, but man. But you have to live through it. So as soon as you oh. say it, it happens right now. Okay. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with a similar apocalypse to what ended classical Mayan civilization because... Even though classical Mayan civilization ended, the Mayans are still there. So I think the chances of some remnants of a civilization surviving are the best. Uh, where it was an environmental catastrophe, and it led to uh, political strife and death and destruction and war. But in the aftermath, people changed the way they... Uh, interacted with the environment, and that same problem has not happened again in the Yucatan Peninsula. I was nice. going to say, I feel like you're kind of just describing 2019, except for that last part. Interesting theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm Jonathan, by the way. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm Jeff Ellis, and um, I... See, I, I guess I'm just going to work on the assumption that, like, everybody dies. So I'm just going to try to think of, like, the least drawn out and painful way to die. So I think, like, multiple nuclear strikes would probably be the right way to do it. But you'd have to have a lot. Like, Did you watch Chernobyl? That's, no, but that's the worst. No, but, like, you'd have to have, have enough that... Barefoot you'd have to have enough <laughs> that nobody survives. Like, you just have, can't have anyone left over for the fallout. Jeff is all. the cruelest god. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's enough nuclear bombs that, like, the Earth looks like a cord apple. Like... What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're learning uh, so much about our characters. <laughs> okay. So I my answer changed with the additional qualification that I had to live through it. So I find the most terrifying apocalypse to be the Grey Goo Nanobot uh, version of the apocalypse. And if you Ooh. don't know what that means, just Google Grey Goo if you want some, like, nightmare fuel. But I think the one I'm going to choose is Robot Uprising. 
I don't think it's likely to happen. I think there's a, but like if a robot uprising happened, uh, if sentient AI decided that we weren't doing a good job and wanted to reduce humans to like pet level status, uh, I think they could do a much better job than we could. <laughs> so that's the one I choose. <laughs> I, li- I like that answer. Yeah. Because one thing I was thinking about for this question was how to make sure other things survive. So my first answer was going to be, Jeff's just like, are you shaking your head? No, like, no, no. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> Not apocalyptic enough for you. <laughs> He's like, let it all burn. <laughs> You're weak, Pollard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm Jam. I'll hail our robot overlord. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Jess, and I was going to pick plague because then, you know, trees, animals, it would be a human plague, just people. But my fun answer would be alien invasion. Mm. Maybe we could all get abducted. Maybe we could just fight the aliens and lose, and it means there's life out there. Mm. <laughs> That's true. There, That is a definite positive spin to the idea of alien invasion as an apocalypse, where no matter what happens to Earth, at least you know life and culture and civilization still exist somewhere. Yeah. And I'm sure we won't feel that way at the time, though. Unless it's <laughs> nanites from space. Yeah, Grey Goo nanobot oh. from space. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, shall we get into why I asked this question, which had a lot more laughs than I thought it would, because this is a bit of a dark topic and a dark book. It's called uh, Laid Waste. It came out in 2016, and this is also paraphrased from Fantagraphics. In a plague-ravaged medieval city, Agnes must weigh her obligations to the dead and dying against her desire to protect what little remains. So it's sort of about, it says in the summary, love and kindness in... What I would say is a very apocalyptic situation because I think from historical records, someone else might be able to speak on this a bit better. People really thought the world was ending and they had good reason because I think the estimates from the Black Death are over 50% at the time. It's two thirds, I read Mm. one. Up to to two thirds. I've heard half, but I mean, they keep changing the numbers so maybe it's two thirds. Wow. It was real bad. It could be. I mean, the smallpox that uh, hit the Americas was like 90%. So it's not impossible for it to have been two-thirds when the plague hit uh, hit Europe. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm pulling that off my head of something I heard maybe many years ago, so apologies if that's... Mm-hmm. You know, not... 70% of stats are just made up on the spot. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that, though. That sounds like that... I'm going to say that sounds plausible. So. Yeah, so look to your left, to look to your right. Both of those people died in the plague, apparently, like if you <laughs> if you're living through medieval Europe. Yeah. Which is brutal. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. so the the book it's very short. And I would uh Julie, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. This is the only thing I didn't like about the book was how short it was. It was <laughs> it was really good. It was really compassionate and humanizing and interesting. But it's only about eighty pages. So it kind of it starts mid plague. It's ravaging. And we just see how people behave and survive in this kind of situation. I thought the dialogue was really well written and the interactions people had, because it's sort of how, you know, what do people do when the world is ending? How do they behave? What did everyone think of the book? I feel like that would be a good lead in. Well, uh, there's a reason I didn't pick Plague for my apocalypse, (laughs) because, like, I think the whole idea of, like, a plague is, like, absolutely terrifying, like, the whole idea of just like i mean i guess like really like radiation sickness is very similar i should have thought thought my answer through more (laughs) 
But like just that idea of it's like too late. It's happening. Now. Someone walks into a room and like they have a virus in them and they cough on you and then it's like that's it. Like now it's just a matter of time and you're gonna die too. Like that's really terrifying. Um, and so like. I think that just this book does a really good job of like conveying that feeling of just, yeah, like feeling like you're in the, at the end of the world and that in a way, like life almost stops having meaning. Like there's multiple instances of people just almost being very blase about, you know, like, well, how's it going? Oh, well, I think my wife's going to die tomorrow. Baby in her stomach's already dead, you know, like, and just people carrying dead bodies around, just piles of dead bodies, like in a you know in a in a pit somewhere where everyone's just throwing them and yet yeah it's also like at the same time there's still these like moments of of life like where people are still like having sex and like having connections with each other there's still like moments of like good of like positivity coming out even in the face of like all this like horrible like depressing, like plague wiping out humanity kind of feel. Um, and yeah, I feel like this is, I mean, whatever, obviously none of us live through the black death, but this felt very like, I don't know, authentic in this idea that like everyone around you is dying and you just kind of think like, well, like who cares? Like I'm probably going to die soon too. Shrug. I, yeah, it was like a really, it was a tough read, but also like a very compelling read. Like I, I think I, started reading this on my road trip to Calgary and just like plowed through it. And I was actually like surprised at how fast it it felt like, I felt like I read a 24 issue comic. Like it just came and went so fast Uh, or a 24 page comic. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It was like the, the way the, the art styles handled the way the writings handled. I really, really enjoyed this despite it being really dark and depressing. I really enjoyed this. Um, It also similar to the, last book i feel like this also um felt very appropriate for 2019 of just like (laughs) what does it feel like when you just think like everything's coming to an end and you know uh there's that sort of i don't know how do you keep going when there's this sort of nihilism seems to be taking root around you you know yeah i i agree with a lot of what you said like i think I understand why you chose the word authentic. I think that definitely rings true. But what perhaps I would choose instead was plausible. Mm, Because, like, we don't know. We don't know what it was like. And what I really liked about this book is that it does do a really good job of humanizing that experience, whether it was authentic or not. Uh, I think when we read about this time period and other time periods from which the record is sparse or written in a language we don't really understand like if you look at the difference between old english and modern english like it can seem just so distant from what you're doing but i think the evolutionary record seems to imply that for millions of years i think hundreds of thousands of years humans weren't that different and so the reaction um that they would have had wouldn't be too different from what we could expect now which is why, like, it did remind me a lot of other contemporary instances of, like, really catastrophic things happening and people becoming very, as you said, like, nihilist and practical to a certain mm-hmm. degree of, like, well, you're here. I might as well have sex with you. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> every, nothing matters. Yeah. Uh, we could get bombed tomorrow is what it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Like, very, like, World War Two kind of catastrophe of, like, everyone, every single person that you know being affected by it and terrifying if you really think about it so yeah it definitely was a 
an impactful read for me. Mm-hmm. Quick interjection before um, John goes. I do actually have a piece of writing from somebody from this time period. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah, which I will read later. Okay, but I think we do have. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for some old news, <laughs> <laughs> like seven hundred years old. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, how did the Black Death turn out anyways? <laughs> well, we're still <laughs> here. In the name. <laughs> it's, people died. <laughs> well, but did they ever did they ever solve that problem? Mm, actually, no. You can the still get the still Black exists. Death. Yeah, yeah, you can still get it. Yeah, the only reason it's not uh, as big a problem now is because we know where it comes from. Right. So we can treat it. Don't make out with rats. Yeah. Or um, fleas. Um, any, like, rodent that lives in the desert. Interesting. Yeah. There but it go. was top tip, health tip, yeah. wasn't it? Wasn't it actually the fleas though? Um, the fleas is how it's transmitted, but the original virus came ah, from okay. groundhogs or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I believe the if I remember, I'm not sure I'm remembering this correctly, but I think the original focus point for the virus was like groundhogs or some similar type of animal in Central Asia, hmm. uh, and it's transmitted by like bodily fluids. So fleas will transmit it from like different hosts and uh, there's also a second version of the plague that can be transmitted by air but that was a later mutation mm. that wasn't the original version scary yeah um, mm-hmm. so uh, it started in Asia and was spread right around the same time as the Mongol Empire was like moving people around all over Eurasia. So that's probably how it got to Europe. Mm. Um, and also, like, it also affected Asia. Like, I don't know what the percentages are for how many, what percentage of people died in Asia, but it was about as bad as Europe. So, wow. like, yeah, hugely affecting there, too. Hmm. It's interesting that we don't hear about that. Yeah. What did you think of the book? Uh, I really liked it. Like, I have some notes we can talk about later, but thematically, I thought it was great. Uh, like, I'm interested in history, obviously, and this, yeah, it felt like, I don't know, it, it felt very much like this is what I imagine that time period must have been. Uh, and the art is very representative of, well, not representative, it's sort of, it's, uh, I think Jess said, inspired by. Yeah, it's evocative. Evocative, yeah. yeah. It definitely evokes the, the art of that period. And there's a lot, lots of little things in it that I can sort of see the source of, and I thought, yes, okay, this is... Uh, this is how it would have been. Like, there's the scene at the start where death pays a visit. And I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of thing that people in the Middle Ages were talking about. Like, death just shows up with a skull for a face and, like, takes people away. So things like that. It's like, okay, this is... Um, I also... And this is going to maybe sound a little weird, but I, I feel like it's good to read a story like this in 2019 because it's... Even though the story itself is, like, very dire and depressing uh reading it from our vantage point can be kind of hopeful because we know that some people survived Mm -hmm. and they were able to rebuild uh and the world didn't end in the middle ages so uh even though getting not everyone got a chance to live through that time period the people who did were able to like move on with their lives so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You got a one right. in three chance. It's better than one out of ten. Life, life <laughs> finds a way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I something else that I really appreciated about this was like, yeah, like the, the it leads you in with this woman talking to this 
personification of death and these like spirits who like take her baby away but then like immediately it kind of cuts to her like running into a field and talking to like i guess it's like her husband or her brother is like where's the baby like in the churchyard and then she like digs up the baby and then it it's just like it kind of cuts in time like the whole thing just sort of felt like a fever dream. Mm. Like yeah. it just the the scene shifts. There's like no real lead in. It's like you're just kind of going from one vignette to the next vignette, and things seem very like yeah. It's like you feels like you're kind of coming in and coming out. Like it almost makes me like I almost felt like I was sick when I was reading it. <laughs> you know, like not in a, like I mean, in a didn't, it didn't feel good, but just like. I feel like that's effective for the kind of story that's being told, right? Um, Like, I actually wasn't sure if, like, I actually kind of felt like the beginning felt like maybe it was almost like a flashback and that it was like, like, because then I wasn't clear, like, did, was the baby dead or did, did they accidentally bury the baby too early? And then that's who grew up and that's who the story's about. Like, yeah, see that, that's my only note is there. I was confused about the actual plot and I don't think the plot is necessarily the most important part of this work. So that's not, I think a big deal, but uh, I think that that baby is the main character in the rest of the story because they have the same name. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Interesting. So I thought that the baby was not actually dead, that it was buried by mistake. The baby is Agnes. Yeah, okay. And so then it's Agnes who ends up surviving the plague. Yeah. Okay, like kind of I was confused by that. Well, because then it's, it cuts to this little girl playing, and then there's people talking like, um, you know, she was so young when it happened, I'm sure she doesn't even remember. Mm. Like, she doesn't remember being buried alive and her mother <laughs> digging her out of the earth. Mm. Um, I didn't pick up on that at all. Oh, well, that's, that's yeah, bad. that was, that was my read of it. And then it just, be, based on that, like the rest of me reading this, I was like, I don't know, like, is it now or is it three weeks later or is it like two months ago or, you know, like it just, you kind of feel like you're in this like fugue of like memories, but like you're kind of coming in and out of it. And yeah. I felt like that was actually really effective to like the subject matter. Yeah. For, for me, it felt like. Things were traumatic. Things were happening too quickly for you to process it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which is how it like a fever dream is another good way to interpret that. Of like it feels disjointed in a way that feels intentional narratively, mm-hmm. um, and it as a reader it kind of leaves you unbalanced, which I think is good. Like you don't want to you don't want to feel comfortable reading a work like this. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then just even like the little like. You know, just in the middle of, of a sequence, you just suddenly cut to, like, two dogs fighting over a severed human hand, you know? Just to really, like, set the tone for, like, yeah. where we are in the world. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, like, random death after random death. Like, there's a scene where the doctor, the plague doctor, is vid- visiting someone. I don't even know if we know who this other character is that is getting this visit. But the doctor, like, shows up and gives him some advice and then sort of heels over and coughing and I don't know if he's dead at that point or just really sick or just like emotionally distraught because we can't tell because he's wearing a plague mask yeah yeah (laughs) I thought that was that really stood out to me I don't know why it was just like uh they earlier you see the plague doctor and like I think Agnes comments like he's not gonna last yeah and then it's like you the first time you have a scene with the doctor he's the 
I mean, not really. A, he's a medieval doctor, but like the first time you have the doctor in this plague situation, he's telling someone, oh, like you've got these. Like they're saying, oh, but doctor, I feel fine. Like, oh, no, you've got lesions on the back of your neck. Like you definitely have the plague. And then just immediately like throws up in his mask and like keels over. And I think it just gives you the sense of like, like nobody's safe. Like yeah. the doctor in his plague mask is like keeling over. Like there is no one's in control. Yeah. And there's no one to turn to for help. Yeah. Yeah. Which and no one really understands this either. Like no one knows it's the fleas. No one knows it's the rats. No one knows anything about viruses. Yeah. No yeah. one knows germ theory. Uh, and right. like even they can't even tell whether a baby is still alive or not. Yeah. That's how bad medicine is. So like mm. they've got no chance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think. Oh, do you mind if I jump in quickly? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I think one thing that was really great about it is that there's these moments of comedy because I think it kind of captures the absurdity of the situation because it is so absurd. Like, characters are just keeling over left and right. Like, it is almost a bit hard to keep track of what's happening, but I still really enjoyed the book. Like, usually not understanding a plot um, fully would kind of take me out of it and be a problem, but in this case, it felt appropriate and intentional. And it, it's such a chaotic story. Like, it's one nightmare thing after the other. And then these little moments of comedy, like when the doctor just falls over as he's giving medical advice. I found, like, there was kind of, like, the absurd comedy to that, or the characters who are standing in front of the fire, and there's oh, all yeah. these dead people <laughs> around, and they're like, oh, it's kind of smoky. No, maybe I'll turn our backs to it, and then we'll still be warm, but we won't have to inhale the smoke. Like, just these very human moments. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that that scene especially because one of the theories that was going around at the time was that uh disease was spread by miasma, so things like smoke and vapor, like that's how you get the plague and yet they're just standing next to this fire of burning corpses and they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't make a difference. Yeah. There was something in social studies I listened to about how there was a someone was commissioned with keeping the pope alive during the black death. <laughs> and because of the um the idea of the bad airs, they thought they needed to burn incense. Uh, so what they did is they surrounded the Pope with like a literal firewall <laughs> of incense. <laughs> and like the Pope survived the Black Death and they were like, oh, you see, it's the incense. But like when historians look at it, they're like, no, no, the firewall, like this actual wall of fire <laughs> surrounding the Pope kept any fleas and rats from getting around to, to the Pope. <laughs> oh, wow. Scientific well, method is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Correlation is not necessarily causation. Yeah. Necessarily. Wow. Oh man. Um, I really want to hear this uh, this quote that you got. Yeah, we've waited say, long enough. Yeah. Who would like to hear? It's story. What time. was produced in this time period? Because you know, talking about suffering and sort of the absurdity of it and almost like the pointlessness of it and some of the characters talk about it like why is god doing this because it would be a very religious time for the most part there was one woman who was an anchoress julian of norick i believe is how you say her name and she lived during the plague in the 1300s and she sealed herself in sort of um this meditation tomb and she had these visions so I'll read one of them. And I think the other reason I wanted to read this is that I think it's referenced in this comic. So this is what she said during the plague. She's talking about God or Jesus showing her something. And in this, he showed me a little thing, the quantity of a hazelnut lying in the palm of my hand. It seemed, and it was as round as any ball. 
I looked thereupon with the eye of my understanding and thought, what may this be? And it was answered generally thus, it is all that is made. I wondered how it could last, for I thought it might suddenly fall to nothing for little cause. And I was answered in my understanding. It lasts and ever shall, for God loves it, and so everything has its beginning by the love of God. In this little thing I saw three properties. The first is that God made it, the second is that God loves it, and the third is that God keeps it. And these are very sweet sentiments during essentially what is the apocalypse. Because what she's saying basically is that um, humanity is cherished, humanity is loved, humanity will endure, which seems totally counter to what you think she would be saying. Um, and Revelations of Divine Love, which is where this comes from, the showings or shoeings, was spelled differently back then. It's a, a lot of it's like this. One of her quotes that I think is mentioned in the book is, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well, except it's inverted. So I think the way that it's said in the book is, tell me the truth, nothing will ever be well. All right, nothing is well. Hmm. <laughs> is that, yeah. that's the quote from the... From between the two characters. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. that's yeah. cool. Because wow. this, this romance is developing between the main character, I think Agnes and... I don't know the male character's name. Yeah, Was I found he named? the scene though. You're right. That's that's yeah. A, and I, a I deep cut, but very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I understand that sentiment as well. Like when you're going through a tough time and everyone's telling you like, "Oh, it'll be all right. It'll be all right," you know. And it's like your instinct, especially in contemporary, is like, "Yeah, you're right. It's okay." But it's like it's not okay. Like nothing is okay about this, and you just want someone to finally be straight with you and say like, "Yeah, it's not okay." This is super not okay. Nothing is okay about this. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a directness that I think people are really clamoring for mm. of like, yeah, I just buried my sister. It sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we have these competing states, right, that mm -hmm. I think is relevant no matter what time period you're in. And one is all shall be well and nothing shall be well. So on one hand, people want to survive. They want to believe their lives are meaningful. They want to believe that they should keep going. And on the one other hand, people fall to despair. They fall to nihilism. These characters sleep together even though one is still technically married, even though his wife is dying. So you have this like refutation of this historical medieval person who said, all shall be well and Jesus loves you and things will be okay. But then at the end of the book, I think they sort of turn around and they do decide that during the plague, their lives still matter, even though everything has become horrible. They decide, let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Let's keep surviving. Yeah. Even though... It's everything is well and nothing's well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really like that it's got that dichotomy from the same characters in such a short space of time because that that feels very real where like on the one hand, their nihilism is valid because like mm -hmm. things are really terrible. And it's, so it un it's totally understandable for them to feel this way and to react the way that they do to just like grab at anything they can because like everything is awful. But then later on to also have the idea that, no, like things are worthwhile. We have to keep fighting. We can't just give yeah. up. And, and I feel like, I don't know, I, maybe if I was in a situation like this, I would probably go between one or the other one day to the next and, mm -hmm. like, never be free of one or the other. Yeah, no, for sure. It's like I thought it was very poignant at the end there where she's basically just, like, slumped over in the death pit, like, with the dead bodies, just, like, she's kind of, like, 
forget it. I'm just going to lie here until the plague takes me. And then he comes back for her and it's like, no, life is worth living. You got to get out of this death pit. You got to come live your life again. This literal pit yeah. of despair. Yes. Like, I don't know. It's, 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 um, yeah, it was really powerful. Um, it keeps, it keeps reminding me of, uh, I'm kind of like paraphrasing something my friend said once where it's like, there's more life and death, you know? It's like there's there's death all around you, so then the moments of life have that much more meaning. Mm. Of you know, like when when you aren't constantly under threat, when death isn't around every corner, you get really complacent and you're oh whatever, like oh I'll catch up with my friend next month, it's fine. We're like you know when the black death is around you, it's like well I'm seeing you right now. Let's I'll say everything I wanted to say to you right now. Because maybe I'm not going to get to talk to you again, you know? Hmm. So it's like, it's a very real, in-the-moment way of living your life. And it's, I mean, obviously it's not probably like the best way to, it's not, it's not best to maintain that kind of yeah, level not, not of intensity. Yeah. But like, <laughs> when death is so close, it kind of, it turns up the volume on life as well. It's like you're you're living to your fullest, I think, when you feel like you might die tomorrow, right? Hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Actually, another story that they, another real historical thing they reference um, in terms of writings is the story of Job. Oh, I missed that. Where was that? I must have read this too fast. I read it pretty fast, too, I must confess. A little crunched for time. Let me think. It was sort of, um, I'm not sure if it was a direct reference, but there is that conversation, like, is God doing this for a reason? Because in Job, it's, it's sort of like the Black Death, where you have this normal mm. person who is burdened with absurd suffering just out of the blue his whole family dies which is you know would literally happen during the plague and so people are kind of wondering why would mm. this happen if there's any kind of order to the universe and i think that's sort of the point of the story of job is it's an observation that sometimes there's these absurd tragedies and i think the most important question is how you decide to view the universe going forward so Accepting whatever you believe, accepting that bad things happen to good people and it isn't necessarily a morally ordered universe. Do you choose to believe that things are ultimately good, ultimately evil, ultimately chaotic, ultimately nothingness? And so I think in a way this is also, this this book could be um, a conversation about attitude, for lack of a better <laughs> word. <laughs> Yeah, or philosophy, right? You know, because I think you've, you've struck on an interesting thing of, like, anything can happen, but what really defines a person is their reaction to it. And there is no true correct reaction to anything, but it's like it does reflect your philosophy, right? It's like if mm -hmm. you choose to make a really big deal out of, like, one person dying, it's like, oh, but they mattered. They, they were everything to me, and they were a pure divine spirit. And, yeah. Not to say that that's the wrong thing to do. I mean, mm. but your perspective will change. Like, if more people start dying, you know, and, like, the 30th person dies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, don't, I don't think anyone would be able to say that Agnes would have been wrong to just stay in the pit at the end. Yeah. Because her reaction would have been entirely understandable. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is... Uh... Really good. I I also really just enjoyed how 
uh, rats and fleas are like a constant motif throughout the whole book. I really enjoyed that it started and ended with a few fleas just mm. on a white background. Yeah. Which I know like for Agnes and all of her, you know, friends, like they don't know that the fleas are the problem, but mm-hmm. like we know what the fleas are about. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated that as like a little, yeah, you know, sort of something extra at the beginning and the end there. And they wouldn't have been like, it makes sense that they wouldn't have considered the fleas. Because the they're ubiquitous. The whole time. Yeah, they're ubiquitous and they're everywhere and they must have been just awful and impossible to get rid of. And so, like, if you had fleas your entire life, just like if we've had, like, oxygen our entire life, and then, like, oh, the problem is you're allergic to oxygen. If, like, we've never been allergic to oxygen before, what the heck is going on, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this in the best way, this was sort of a nastily drawn comic in some ways. Like, there's scenes where you see, like, sores on people's hands and mm-hmm. there's, like, fleas and hair and dirt. And I love that about it because sometimes in, you know, medieval TV shows or medieval fantasy shows, everyone's so clean, mm-hmm. wearing mascara. Yeah, you everyone's know. got, like, nice, clean, straight teeth. Yeah, clean teeth. <laughs> no one has body hair. And it's just, like, <laughs> this... I love that this just got into it. Mm-hmm. Even, like, you mentioned, I think Jeff mentioned the dogs fighting. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't pull any punches. No. No. Nor, I don't know, nor should it, really. No. Like, I think if you're going to do a comic about the Black Death, I think this is, like, the way, <laughs> yeah. this is the way to do it. <laughs> like, I don't think you want it to be... You don't want to pull your punches when yeah. you're about the Black Death. And it's like, I think it was one of the uh, pleasant surprises I had of coming into this work. So I'd never heard of it before. So I read it based on the recommendation for Trade Readers. And I was like, I kind of had this preposition or pre preconceived notion of like, oh, it's going to be one of these like squeaky clean representations. Like, I guess uh, Castle Waiting is maybe what I would think of, of like, mm. everything seems very pristine and very nice. It's like, that's what I was expecting. And so to have this gritty, way more... Uh, plausible portrayal of it. I I really liked it. I was drawn to it because it looked so rough and mm. real. Um, I I just learned recently that one of my favorite genres of literature is called soil and gloom, <laughs> um, which is sort of a is derog- that like goblin core. Like <laughs> it's a it's kind of a, a somewhat derogatory term for a genre. I think of English literature that's set in the countryside with people toiling, sort of quote unquote. Peasants. An example of this would be, I think I've shouted it out, is Precious Bane, which is set in Shropshire in, after the Napoleonic Wars. And it's my favorite book, number one. And yeah, I think this sort of genre, I don't know if it'd be Soil and Gloom, but I love like that rawness because it feels to me, and this is a personal opinion, I know some people will disagree, more reflective of the experience of being a person because it's nasty. Yeah. It's dirty, right? Like, <laughs> it's rough. And I've always been drawn to all media like this. I mean, even we talked about Chernobyl a couple times, too. Mm. And, like, that also, it showed it all, everything. Yeah. Mm. It was really an astonishing show. Like, it was uncomfortable to watch. And I don't want this to become, like, the Chernobyl hour, but <laughs> maybe it should be. Uh, the reaction is still going. <laughs> John, sorry, what were you going to say? I got got distracted by the fact that you're right. That thing is still, like, (laughs) superheated and giving off radiation. Don't go there and take pictures and put it on Instagram, please. there's, like, a tourist boom right now because (laughs) of the show. You have to discard your shoes after you go, last I heard. (sighs) 
Like, people yeah. don't go to Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah. It's not safe. Oh, man. Okay, so what I was going to say, just to get us off the dire consequences of radiation sickness, um, I really like the way that this story sort of interfaces with history, where a lot of historical fiction will uh, either explain history to you or uh, expect you to know a bunch of stuff going in. And I think this story correctly guesses how much general knowledge about the Black Plague that the average person will have and trusts you to have that knowledge and then tell a story with that knowledge outside of the page. Like, we know that the fleas at the beginning and the end pages are a big deal because we know the fleas were the ones that spread the plague, but no one in the story knows that. And with you somehow didn't have that piece of information, the experience of reading the story would be completely different. But I think you can trust that people know that. And so then that sort of that sort of dialogue between the artist and the reader is really interesting to me, where you can kind of know what they know and then start from there. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to pull off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. Like, it's a, a very accessible experience, an accessible narrative for someone who doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth in the Black Plague history aspect which is difficult. Like, it's something that I struggle with with historical fiction of, like, either it's way too much and I'm like, okay. And it's like (laughs) I can't really access the human side of it sometimes Mm -hmm. or it's just not enough. And I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. Am I supposed to care about these people? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh, I agree with that. It definitely strikes a very uh, appropriate balance. Any final thoughts? I do have one final thought. I'm just curious, looking at the cover, which is what initially drew me in, what it means. I mean, it's this black cover with dark blue clouds and a gray city. And then there's this woman in a white robe with uh, wings and a sword, and she's blindfolded. So I'm wondering, and that, that doesn't show up in the book. Yeah, ever. I, I interpret it as like an angel of death or like one something of the four like horsemen yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. It's def- if, if this person has ain- like wings... There's some kind of supernatural spirit or representation of an unseen force, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks... I, I read it as, like, Angel of Death. Yeah. Um, Blindly taking people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... He has almost... I mean, almost like you could also read it as maybe, like, the, the angel that brought the the plague of the firstborn onto the Egyptians, you know, like, just hovering over the city, like, indiscriminately cutting down, you know, different people. Yeah, yeah, it felt like a very medieval interpretation of, like, what was happening at the time. Like, it's not the fleas, it's, like, the angel of death is, like, mm-hmm. sweeping through our town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I uh, I read it digitally, but shout out to the print edition. It looks really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's printed, like, the cover is, like, a very interesting paper stock. And the, I don't know, I, I know you guys all read this on uh, digital, but uh, I think this art works better on paper because it's so many like little detailed cross-hatching lines i would agree uh i've even got to really look at that book too closely but i mean i enjoyed reading this on the ipad but it's serviceable i could i yeah i i i could see based on the art that yeah i think having the the paper texture in your fingertips would enhance the experience yeah sometimes i don't care but i would agree i would say this one like might be worth the investment yeah Mm -hmm. yeah okay i would recommend this book 
I would also recommend this book. Yeah, it's I think again very, uh, very it feels very like of of the t- of the zeitgeist right now. <laughs> I think if you're yeah. If you're feeling if you're feeling somewhat hopeless about where we are in the world, uh, you can read this book and <laughs> remember that like sometimes good things can still happen, and and you shouldn't just like uh, curl up and die in the death pit. Well, to be fair, <laughs> good things happen for one out of three people. <laughs> All right, I, I did find myself looking at the publishing date, thinking like, how much of this is about the present? Yeah, <laughs> and how timeless will it be? I think it will be quite timeless. Um. I would recommend this book to experienced comic readers. I think there's a little bit in the medium and uh, what's left implied versus what is textual that would be difficult for a novice reader to uh, really Mm. absorb. That's a good point. Uh, I'd also say it's not a summer beach read. (laughs) (laughs) So don't hand it to your most depressed friends. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) worth reading. I'm glad I read it and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Nice. Just some, just some light summer reading yeah. to, to kick off that those sunny days. Maybe better to read it uh, at the beach in the summer than in the middle of the dark, dreary winter. Yeah, in it, it's not huge. Let's put it that way. Yeah, don't read it. Don't read it in, in February in Vancouver. <laughs> okay. A solid Thursday. It's a solid Thursday During kind of cold read. season. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, should we do some shout outs? Shout outs. Okay. Um, I'm going to shout out uh, The Hidden Witch by Molly Knox Ostertag, which is the sequel to Witch Boy. Oh, boy. Uh, I can't remember if I've shouted this book out before. I don't think I have, but we it's also good. One. Yes, yeah. we did an episode on the, the book if, that comes before this. If you didn't, it's well deserved to be shouted out a second time. I enjoyed the second it, second volume, and I think there will be more. Ooh. Well, I haven't finished reading it, but I'm just going to shout out Comics Will Break Your Heart by Faith Aaron Hicks. It's a prose book, but it's very much about comics and the sort of, I don't know, the good and the bad of making comics and being in the comics industry. Uh, yeah, I'm halfway through and I'm really enjoying it. Sweet. That's a book I was really curious about. Uh, I'm going to shout out Prism Stalker. Uh, I am in a good upswing of reading a lot of comics, which is a happy place for me to be. And so I read a bunch of them, and Prism Stalker really stood out. It's a, uh, so far, the first graphic novel has been released. It's by Sloan Leong, and it's a science fiction book that has a really interesting and unique take. So it's like, it's not your traditional space opera. Uh, It's definitely more of like a biohacker kind of interpretation of science fiction and it has some really strong like colonial and indigenous memory and identity themes throughout the work that i thought were really really interesting uh so yeah prism stalker recommend that's cool i've seen the art and like that was enough to sell me on getting the book i haven't read it yet yeah it'll be good you'll enjoy it okay yeah good to know yeah i i actually read that recently too i really enjoyed it yeah i would definitely get the second one yeah, yeah. Make stuff. a second one. Make a second one. Come on, publishers. <laughs> publishers. I'm gonna shout out to continue a theme. The book "All Shall Be Well" and "All Shall Be Well" and "All Manner of Things Shall Be Well" by Todd Wadaka, I believe is how you say his last name. And it's a novel about older medieval eccentric medieval reenactor who is obsessed with history, but his life is not going very well. Interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so our next episode will actually not be on a book. It will be our second ever TCAF VanCAF episode. Woo! Yeah. So um, some of us went to TCAF, some of us went to VanCAF, some of us went to both, and we are going to bring in a whole bunch of books that we got at one or the other of those shows and gush about them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great time to listen for a bunch of new things to listen or to watch out for new people to follow yeah and we usually post pictures of all the things we brought in so it's a little bit more visual than our our usual trade waiters episodes because we know not everyone can get scenes yeah uh but it should be fun i'm excited to discuss that with you all i'm excited to have a zine trading sesh mm-hmm. <laughs> me too i didn't table at VanCav, but i attended and i literally spent more money than i ever have <laughs> possibly <laughs> in one place yeah i did tcaf as an attendee for the first time ever and like yeah i budgeted a lot and i came home with pounds of stickers <laughs> <laughs> so i'm very happy the trade waiters is presented by cloudscape comics thanks to the vancouver public library for letting us record in the inspiration lab and sleuth for the music You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com, as well as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 